Okay, so this is Andy Hofer coming to you today for Full Circle Magic with another in our series of Q&A sessions with notable magicians from around the world. Today we're talking with the UK magician Dominic Reyes, who, in addition to being a great performer, is also a successful magic dealer and an educator of magicians with a number of ebooks and great series of articles on his website on many subjects, including presentation, practice, and the business side of magic. So please, everyone, join me in welcoming Dominic to Full Circle Magic. Good afternoon, Dominic. Hi, hello, hi, Andy, hi, everyone. And I want to try, hopefully, yeah, I want to make sure your camera is up here. Okay, good afternoon. So, as, I, as, as you know, we, uh, we put out a list of questions for people to, uh, to accumulate questions and vote on them and so on. And uh, we've had a number of them that uh, have gotten sorted in the order of popularity. So I'll start at the top of the list, and you can jump in and go off on a tangent anytime you want. Uh, <laughs> I tend to do uh, that. We love <laughs> stories of any kind. So, sure. um, so top of the list was, what are some of your favorite effects? And what gets the biggest audience reaction for you? Okay, uh, so me as a performer or me as a magic dealer? I would say as a performer. Let's start there. Yeah, sure. Well, um, for me personally, I have a set way, a, a set routine or, or a, a set way of doing things which is very formulated. So I work to a script and everything is, is pretty much standardized. So it's very hard for me to add in new material. Um, even though I'm there at the magic shop all the time, um, I'll see a new trick, uh, I'll love it, and I'll think, yeah, that's just right for me. Um, I'll put it in my close-up case, and there it sits for months, possibly, because when I get to a gig, I know exactly I've got, okay, this is a particular set for walk-around. Uh, I know it works. I know it's got a beginning, a middle, and an end, and a flow, and I know exactly what I'm going to say. Um, so it's quite difficult for me to add in new material. Uh, but sometimes I do get tricks that I really, really like, and I'll add them in. Um, one of them, notably, um, is a, a Paul Harris um, Presents Envelope, uh, which is the appearing, um, uh, the, 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 the uh, playing card disappears and appears in the envelope. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Yes, I have seen it. Now, uh, the reason I like it, obviously it's lovely visual magic, but it fits exactly into position between two tricks, which I already do. And the tricks themselves, each individual one for me personally, aren't that as important as where they're going to fit and whether a trick will work for me. Um, so I really like that one. I do a lot of the classic ones. I do a lot of coin magic. Um, and again, I do ambitious cards like every other magician. Uh, I do Omni deck, which seems to be like every other magician does as well. Um, I do chop cup. Um, so quite classic tricks. Um, but they have to be tricks which sort of connect people, so they play to a whole group. Um, if I'm doing a, 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 what I'm looking for is a trick that might engage five or six different people and allow, allow them, me to hold their attention and build a group and then expand on that group as well. Um, so there are loads of tricks that I really love, but they wouldn't necessarily be right for me. That's fantastic. That uh, sounds like you've got it very well thought out. Awesome. So we have another uh, question right below that asking about mentalism and whether you incorporate mentalism into your ad. Um, I don't do a great deal of mentalism. I do um, in my normal, I have different session sets. So I've got a set for um, a group of tricks for maybe a cocktail reception or a canapes reception, drinks reception. Um, if I'm doing a wedding, that would be maybe during photos or um, during the initial walk around. Um, 
then I have table magic sets, uh, and those don't tend to have any mentalism in them. But I have put together maybe a 30-minute short parlor magic presentation, uh, which I bolt on as an additional um, uh, service if I'm doing maybe a, a, a cocktail reception or a dinner party. Um, or if I'm doing a larger event, I may do it specifically just for, for maybe one or two tables. Um, but it, it'll be a set piece where I'm not doing any close-up magic other than the mentalism. So I wouldn't be doing any coin magic. I wouldn't be doing any um, any sleight of hand. It'd be mentalism presented as mentalism. That, that goes along with what a lot of people have said, that uh, you know, if you're going to get the major impact from mentalism, you don't necessarily want people to think of it as tricks. So if you're doing tricks at the same time, it's got to create a problem for some people, yeah. Yeah, it's it's not so much because of of that. A lot of people worry about sort of belief in magic and whether you're you're showing sleight of hand and then suddenly you're showing magic, but you want them to believe it. You know, I, I think mentalism is maybe like the last field of magic where people really believe it could be real. Um, you know, people still believe in ESP and. Uh, and telekinesis and things like that. So uh, it is, you're right, it is tricky for people to, you know, you, you're presenting a card trick and then um, you're going from that into some mind reading is, is hard. But for me, really, the difference is being um, when I'm performing close-up, um, I don't come across as if it's... it's um, what I'm doing is I'm building a whole group. So I'm performing, I'll, I'll choose a spectator and then I'll bring them on board and I'll perform to the rest of the group. With mentalism, it's very one-on-one -on -one with, with a person. And I find that quite tricky to switch from presenting to a whole group and making interplay with a whole group to just going maybe with one spectator and creating an effect in that spectator's mind. Um, perhaps it's because I don't do a lot of mentalism. Uh, but I struggle with that switch from maybe entertaining a group to inter entertaining an individual and allowing that to entertain the group. I definitely understand. So I, I don't know. I don't know if the next question really is totally applicable, but we have a question asking: What type of magic is your specialty? Close up, walk around, or platform? I, I suspect that it's uh, it's more than one of those. Uh, well, I would say it's close up. Um, I don't really do very much sort of platform magic. Um, sometimes I'm booked maybe to come and present at the end of a, a, a dinner party. So I'll go into I'll go into an event and there may be um, 50 guests and I do a 20 minute show. Uh, if that's the case, I'll tend to do that's when I'll do the mentalism. Um, you know, a 30 minute mentalism show as a, as a, as a package where I go in and present that. Um, for my normal close-up, I do a lot of coins. I do hardly any card magic, um, ambitious cards, and I do a, um, a Chicago opener. Um, I do a, a few other a few other card effects, but a lot of coin magic and um, demonstrations. I do some rope magic as well. Um, uh, so yeah, it tends to mainly be that style of, uh, of presentation. I'm not really into flourishing. Um, it, it, it does tend to be, I'd say coin magic is my main thing. That's how I started. I started off buying Bobo's Modern Coin Magic and working through that. Um, and I learned lots of different card tricks, uh, coin tricks, and then had to come back to card magic later because I needed some balance. Everyone would say, oh, you're a magician, show me a card trick. And I didn't really know any. 
I knew the 21 card trick and that was about it. So I had to then go and, and, and learn um, card technique after spending a lot of time on coin magic. And, and that was quite frustrating. So my card magic is, is far behind maybe the sleight of hand, but I use with, uh, with coins. That's great. That almost leads to a, you know to another question. Maybe I'll jump around a bit, but there were you know we have a question about when when did you first begin performing and and how did you get started? Okay, well um, most magicians seem to start when they were kids, and I used to watch the Paul Daniels Magic Show when I was a, when I was little, and I really enjoyed it. What I enjoyed were the special guests that used to come on. Um, and I didn't know it at the time, but Eugene Berger was a guest there, and I was really impressed with, with micro-magic, with close-up magic, not so much the illusions. And I, and I appreciated it, but I didn't really sort of have any urge to learn. Then uh, I went to university, and while there, everyone was into juggling um, and sort of circus skills. So I went to a juggling shop, and I was going to buy a unicycle, <laughs> and um, so I went in there, and there was a stand, and it had a few magic tricks. And I thought, oh, great, okay, I'm going to buy one of these, and I'm going to freak out everyone in, in, the, um, uh, in the house. So I went and bought a thumb tip and went back and, and had a little go, you know, silk and thumb. And uh, it went down really well. So I went straight back to the juggling shop the next day. And I went through their whole range of magic tricks, which were only five. But... Um, <laughs> I, I, it, for me, suddenly I thought, oh, wow, this is really great. You know, the, the problem with magic at that point is you show someone a trick and they go, oh, that's amazing. Show me something else. And I didn't know anything else. So, um, so I'm frantically trying to learn new magic. And then uh, this was it down in Plymouth, uh, where, in England, where I, I was at uni. So there is a really great magic shop um, called Cohen's Magic and Jokes, uh, run by uh, an excellent magician called Malcolm Norton. Um, so I used to go in there and Malcolm let me work there a few times um, uh, to work and it was a great way of gaining experience and at that point I started consuming everything I could about magic um, and started performing as soon as possible so I started doing uh, events while I was at uni to, uh, to, to, uh, to pay for my, my course and by the time I'd graduated I realised I didn't want to follow that profession and I was already earning decent money from uh, from uh, magic so uh, it sort of carried on from there so quite late really so I was uh, I was in my 20s when I started okay you've gone silent so I've got no sound now okay Andy I can't hear you yeah Okay, is that better? Yeah, that's better. You're back. I don't know why. My microphone muted itself for some reason. Sorry about that. No okay. worries. So, so as you, uh, as you progressed in, uh, in starting your, your magic interest and in, in, in your career, um, what, what other magicians have had the greatest influence on your style, would you say? On my style? Uh, well, you know, learning coin magic, the first uh, magician that really heavily influenced me was David Roth. And um, he has a fantastic series, um, Easy um, Expert Coin Magic Made Easy, Volume 1, 2, and 3. 
Um, and, you know, I literally wore out all video cassettes when they came out over and over and over, repeated watching them. And uh, so David Roth is a huge influence. Um, Eugene Berger as well. Um, now, very different magic. You don't learn a great deal of, of tricks. Right. You learn about slowing down your presentation and you learn about, but, it, but it's not necessarily the tricks that, but, um, but are important. Right. It, how you present them and and how you interact with the spectators. So uh, I would say those were my my biggest influences of uh, in magic. That, that's a that's a great couple of influences. I really like that. <laughs> now I never get stage fright at all. Uh, apart from I never get starstruck at all. Right. Yeah. And so I go to a lot of uh, of events and I see quite a lot of celebrities and things like that. It doesn't bother me at all. It doesn't phase me. But the first time I met Eugene Berger in real life. I walked up to him and I put my hand out to shake his hand uh, and I meant to say, oh, hi, Eugene. And all that came out was, uh, 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 (laughs) (laughs) and I had to pause and just laugh and and he laughed as well. But um, yeah, that's the first time I've actually been properly starstruck. That's that's really funny, though. I I met him for the first time last fall. And um, the, the thing I think that struck me most amazingly, and also when I see him in a video, is his voice. He's got the most incredible voice, that guy. Deep, yeah. resonant voice, and he just exudes the most amazing sense of, yeah. you know, you want to give him a hug right away. He's a great, great guy. Yeah, and especially very, as well, you know, when he's in Big's, um, Big's restaurant in Chicago, the way he um, makes his introduction, but the waiter comes over to the table and says, would you like to see some magic, and brings a chair over. And then Eugene makes his, his introduction. Now, there's a whole lesson in magic there, right. just in that introduction, in the way to set up a scene and the way to, uh, to approach, compared to walking up to a, a group of spectators and opening a fire wallet or picking up a, an object and suddenly doing some magic and, and walking in and imposing your magic straight away. Um, but the, the, the difference in style there to actually come over and ask whether you whether the group want to see some magic in the first place, uh, it's just good manners, I think. And uh, and for me, from my influence, I always approach a group now, introduce myself, saying, "Hi, I'm Dominic Ray's magician today. Um, Mark or whoever the host is would like to show you a trick. Would you like to see some magic?" Um, and I took that really from from Eugene's approach saying that, that you shouldn't just impose your magic on people. You should uh, ask them whether they want to see some magic, because at the end of the day, they're not there to see magic. They're there to do whatever they want to do, have a conversation or, or uh, enjoy the evening. And, and it isn't all about you. It's about what they want. Um, and I know a lot of magicians say, well, they might not know that they're going to enjoy the magic. Uh, but even so, if you've been performing already to a, a few groups, they should know what's going on and they know a magician's happening and they're seeing groups ent- being entertained. Um, so, you know, you should give people the, the option of whether they want to see magic rather than suddenly sort of pushing it in their throat, from, from my opinion. Uh, and, and I got that from Eugene Berger. Well, that's a great tip to pick up from him. I know I'm always made a little nervous or concerned by the idea of like, interrupting a, a group of people who are having their own conversation and not wanting to intrude. Because, as you said, that's their time, and you don't want to you don't want to break in on something. But uh, but to, to to not be afraid to ask permission sounds like a great thing. And and beyond that, the few occasions I have had is as you said, if you perform successfully for one group, 
a, a lot of other people seem to notice pretty quickly. And when that happens, you immediately know who your audience is. And, and that can be a big help right there. So, uh, so let's see. We have a question about profit management or, or crop management. So how much stock do you have to put into, uh, into managing what you carry with you at a, at a, at a gig? Well, I think that's really important. Uh, and it's one of the things which, um, unless you get out and start performing, it's very hard to develop because you learn a trick and start performing it. Uh, then you get bored and you go on to the next trick and you start performing it. You go on to the next and you start practicing it. Until you're in a situation where you're going to get out and you're actually tying everything together, you don't see how that flows. So I, for me, when I first started performing, I don't know if it was the same for you, Andy, when you first did your first gig, did you take loads of equipment, far more tricks than you could ever perform? I did. I loaded up everything. I loaded up sort of, I had 30 different tricks with me to go, to go yeah, and do. I've often done that. <laughs> yeah, and I used like five of them yeah. <laughs> over and over again. Um, and why, the reason I did that is I didn't understand about pocket management. I didn't understand that everything needs to have its place. And if it has its place, you don't need to be loaded up with everything. You right. just need to know exactly where everything is to do the tricks that you're going to do that, that, that evening. Yeah. It's much harder, I think, if you're jamming, if, you're, if you don't have a set pattern of tricks, uh, a set, um, if you don't have a fixed set of tricks that you're going to perform, uh, perform uh, because then you do have to take everything, and then you've got to decide where everything is, and you don't want to be rummaging around in your pockets. So I have everything exactly in its place. The Sharpies are here. I know that my deck's in, in my, um, uh, uh, my left jacket pocket. I know the coins are in my back pocket, um, and I can go straight away to those without having to think about it. Um, and unless you, unless you perform everything you know in that set, it's very hard to develop it. Um, I would say if you're practicing, what I suggest to people that write into the magic shop about uh, pocket man management is to make a, get a piece of paper and maybe write down uh, sets of tricks that you're going to perform say four or five tricks in a set that have a, an opener, a closer, and a few middle tricks, then make another set of, of four or five tricks with an opener, a closer, and a few in the middle. And then think about the pocket management for each of those different sets and, and where you would need, what you're going to present first, what's your opener, so that needs to be in your right hand, so it's going to need to be in your right jacket pocket or your, your right coat pocket. Uh, you're going to need your shampoos here, um, and go through those that set of tricks, and rather than just practicing the tricks, you're rehearsing the whole set. So you're performing one trick as if you're really performing it to the spectators, right. then going on to the next trick and performing the whole trick as if there are invisible spectators there with you. Yeah. And that will show you exactly where you're going to put things at the end of a trick and where you're going to take things out. Um, and you've got to do that through rehearsal rather than practice. Uh, so I write quite a lot on the blog about the difference between practice and rehearsal, um, which um, I think is the best thing you can do to sort of improve your pocket management. I think that that, that point which you cover on your, you know, on your site, and I've seen, you know, good writing from other people is, is trying to clarify the difference between practice and rehearsal, and that's uh, something that people really need to understand. And if you're doing, um, 
if you're doing the type of show where you're doing a walk around, do you tend to avoid effects that need any substantial reset at all, uh, or do you, do you? No, not at all. Not at all. I do. Um, I do. Uh, Bill in Orange. Okay. What's uh, uh, a Bill in Lemon? But I use a um, uh, an orange, and uh, I do that to every table during uh, walk arounds, though. Uh, and I will be leaving the room and resetting that and going back into the room and approaching the next table. Um, so I don't care about that at all. Um, quick reset's important for, um, like, a drinks reception, where, where I'm just going to mingle with guests standing around drinking and talking and having canapes. Um, so I will do quick reset there. But when I'm doing the tables, uh, then I leave the room in between each table. So it really doesn't matter what the reset would be. That's fascinating. I, I, I think I'm, I'm taking mental notes here myself, uh, but I haven't heard many people, you know, people mention walk around, but they don't distinguish much between cocktail reception and doing tables. That's that's an interesting point. I like that. So we have uh, we have another question. The last was pocket management, and some we have a question of how important is audience management in your act. I know that's a really broad question, but any thoughts you have on audience management? Well, audience management, for me, yeah, it's very important. Um, but the type of gigs that I do tend to be quite formal. So um, they will be business uh, business events, they'll be corporate events, they'll be trade shows. Um, I do quite a lot of weddings as well as for this, my sort of bread and butter work. Um, so those events, people are in their best behaviour. They're there to have a good time. There is a set way that, that to act, whereas a lot of guys, you know, certainly that writes, write to us at the blog for advice, they're doing magic for their family and friends, and they're doing magic uh, maybe in pubs and bars where they've got a whole different, completely different dynamic. Um, so audience management becomes very difficult there, whereas it's not so, impo- it's not so tricky uh, in a more formal situation. When you're first starting off learning magic, the audience management is probably the hardest thing, especially because you're probably practicing to your family and friends and they're not going to behave like a normal spectator does. Uh, They know you, uh, they're they're watching magic half the time because you want to show them a trick rather than they're here to be entertained. Um, And they'll have a completely different dynamic to the way they're going to interact. Um, And so, again, exactly the same thing. In order to learn good audience management, you need to be performing to strangers and you need to be performing to strangers in different situations. Um, for, for me, audience management is quite important, especially if I, for example, if I approach a table, um, I want to capture, I know some magicians, they'll, they'll walk up to a table, uh, a table of 10, say, at, a, a, at an event, and they'll start performing uh, regardless of whether the whole table is watching. Uh, whereas for me, it's important that everybody stops and everybody pays attention to me performing. So I have a particular opener that I use at most tables where I will walk up to to a group. There's normally a name card um, in front of one of the spectators. I try not to choose the alpha spectator, uh, you know, the alpha person who's who's dominating the table. I'll tend to choose somebody that um, is paying quite a lot of attention to them uh, and is probably getting feedback from the alpha um, the alpha spectator, uh, and I'll ask them what their name is, and as soon as they tell me their name, I'll say, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, could you give Anne here a big round of applause for volunteering? 
<laughs> and that, that immediately gets everybody, oh, great, clapping like that. And Anne goes, oh, like that. And I say, oh, don't worry, Anne, because it's us two against these guys. And it's made everybody stop. Uh, the alpha spectator has, has paid attention because Anne's getting attention. He'll be clapping and enjoying, or she'll be clapping and enjoying the fact that someone's it been put in that situation, but that person's still straight on my team. But, it, but it's important I do this because I want everybody around the table to stop and pay attention. Uh, and if the others start clapping, everybody stops and, and, and either joins in clapping because something's going on or they want to see what, what's happening. So uh, that tends to be my most popular way of opening when I'm approaching a, you know, a, a table. So, yeah, it's quite important <laughs> to, to answer your question in a long way. I've rambled. Yeah. Now, I like that. It's a big question. And I mean, it's fascinating that you choose the person, you know, who's, who's interacting with the alpha instead of the alpha himself. You, you, I suppose if you pick the alpha to do something like that, you run into the risk of resistance and setting up a, a challenge with him, perhaps. Well, that's exactly it. That's it. I, I, the alpha is already holding, the, holding court. Right. So as soon as I come over uh, and I want to take... Um, attention just for a period of time uh, that's a conflict of interest even though it isn't said it's not explicit sure. um there is still that dynamic so uh, if i pick the alpha chances are i'm going to get a wise crack or i'm going to get some kind of play of play for attention uh, right. even if it's unconscious if i choose the alpha's partner so if the alpha is is with a guest if i choose that person's guest the alpha will do everything in their power to bring the attention to their guest because they want that person to feel good. Right. So I, I have the alpha helping because I'm helping the alpha make their guest feel special. That's great. I'm going to like re watch this again and take notes later because I've heard a lot of people talk about engaging the alpha directly so that they are the still the center of attention. But that's a fascinating point about, about going with their guest. Yeah, if you, I think uh, I think for me, obviously, everyone's different, so I can only go from, from my way. I'm not saying anything that I do is particularly right or wrong, but it, it works for me. Um, but I think um, if I interact directly with the alpha straight from the beginning, I, I create a, a – I become a tool for him to carry on being the group's centre of attention. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. If I, if I pick someone that he likes or she likes – um, and would like them to enjoy the magic, I have them on, on side. And equally, at the very end, it's important to hand over attention back to the alpha at the end. If you don't, they'll generally make another wisecrack or they'll do something to bring attention back to them. So uh, my last closing trick will tend to be with them. Okay, okay. Awesome. This is, this is great material. Okay, so... Uh... We have a question about comedy and whether you incorporate comedy. Do you consciously incorporate comedy into your act? And if so, uh, would you say it's scripted or impromptu or a mixture? Or, or what do you think on that? Um, I don't do very much comedy because I can't tell a joke. If I tell a joke, it just falls completely flat. Okay. It's just like a sort of noise. Uh, but um, I do. So I am quite lighthearted, so some of it... I'll say things in as a smile, and uh, I seem to, to add comedy without maybe necessarily uh, meaning to. <laughs> so, uh, so it may just be the, my mannerisms, uh, and those have worked, so yes, they then become scripted. Right. So uh, I do 
everything exactly the same. It is formulated to a rise of the eyebrow, to a pause, to a comment that I say. Um, I can deviate from it, but everything has been worked out. So if I'm feeling not 100% or on my game, I know I can fall back on, on that set way of presenting and it works. Right. And I can add lib and I can just come back to it. Uh, but I don't, I don't do loads of gags or anything like that or, or make one-liners. Um, I tend to, the way I present is, is quite polite, uh, but being slightly cheeky in, in being polite. So uh, I'm very politely fooling the people. And, uh, and, uh, but I do sort of giggle and I, I'm showing that I have fun. And in doing that, there is quite a fair amount of laughter as well. It, just in that... Like that introduction I spoke to you about, uh, about saying, hey, give, uh, give Anne a, a round of applause for volunteering. Uh, it, it'll get a laugh, um, even though it's kind of not funny, but, but it does get a laugh, and I think because of the, the, the dynamics involved. I, I think your presentation, you know, leads into that. I don't think comedy is um, – I think some of the best comedy really is, is, is not gags and jokes, but reactions of the audience and playing off their reactions. So, I mean – Again, I saw a few of your videos. I saw a wedding a wedding table that you were working, and there was plenty of laughter going on. But it wasn't scripted comedy. It was just. But you set up the you set the situation up so you get these types of reactions just naturally. So, um, I mean, yeah. just, sometimes just the surprise alone is is works as comedy. Uh, you're, as I said before, when we were speaking before, I love your chop cup routine where the lady was left with a baseball sitting in the palm of her hand that no one knew was there until the last second. And that, even though it's not comedy, the way you present these things, it, it, it gives people a lot of laughter. And uh, I think the presentation is really great. Cheers. Um, that, that routine's not mine. It's, uh, I think, Martin Sanderson's right. routine. You can learn it on um, Corporate Close-Up by Martin Sanderson. Um, obviously, I've changed the presentation to suit me a bit, but the mechanics are all there, and it, it's a really good commercial chop cut routine. Sure, sure. Awesome. I'm going to look that up. I've been thinking of doing chop cup again recently anyway. So, yeah. If you're going to do it, literally do it on the spectator's hand. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, it, it's really good because even if um, at that moment when you've loaded, when you've put a load on, say a baseball or something like that, and you put it on their hand, um, they don't give it away. They're, they're in on it, and they know they know something's happened, uh, but afterwards they don't know – they know that there's a ball under there before you lift up the, the cup, but right. they don't know how it got there. Right. So, so they'll afterwards you'll hear them say, oh, did, did, you, did you feel it under there? They'll say, yeah, I felt it, but I've no idea how it got there. Right. just suddenly was there. And I think they forget because everyone's reacting and, and they're the centre of attention. Right. So there's psychology going on there, which means you can you can almost make them a stooge without them understanding the method. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, it's a great trick. And hands, hats off to uh, Martin for, um, for uh, I don't know whether, actually whether it's original to him, but he certainly popularised it, and, and that's where I learned it from. Right, I think that's another one I'm going to look up myself. You, know, you used the word psychology there for a second, so that leads me to jump to another question. I believe you you actually have uh, studied some psychology formally, and uh, how does that, if, if so, how does that help or influence your performance strategy? Yeah, I have. Um, I did a degree in, in psychology um, uh, back in the 90s, um, and to some extent it helps. Um, 
a lot of the, a lot of it is statistical, so you you're not necessarily looking at um, uh, behaviour. Although we did sort of cover behaviourism and we did cover um, body language, um, but um, so no, it doesn't actually help me in my magic, but it does help me commercially in my marketing because I make a point of that on my website. I make a point of the fact that I studied psychology, and clients do come back. Uh, and do mention it when they book me, and they go, oh, wow, psychology, you must be able to analyse me or something like that. And if uh, on the times when I've done mentalism, they've gone, oh, okay, using your psychology on me. Exactly the same way as, you know, if you're a member of, uh, of the Magic Castle or the Magic Circle, people, it, you know, it doesn't necessarily help your magic. It's a great club and it's useful, but it's a great marketing tool because it has that aura and it has associations that the public have that, that you can play on. So, yeah, it has helped me, but but not the theory, <laughs> just the title. That's good. I like that, though. That's, that's interesting. Well, you know, you get leverage what you can. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of, you know, magic magic's about marketing just as much as it is about technique. Um, and it's about setting up what, uh, uh, how you're going to be presented to the client and getting the gig. Um, and uh, and then once you're in the gig, obviously doing a great job. But you know, it, it, it's a it's a business. Um, if you're not just learning tricks and enjoying, you know, in, enjoying the fun of magic and the hobby of magic, then um, the business side is probably more important than the technique uh, going forward. If you're going to make it a career. Right. Right. Well, you know that that's perfect lead into another couple of questions, and and uh, we've got. The question on what advice would you give magicians who wanted to start working corporate? Corporate, okay. Um, so with corporate, what do you mean by corporate? Are you looking at um, trade shows or are you thinking at sort of corporate as in commercial magic? So restaurants and or weddings or um, um, events? I, I think possibly, I mean, again, you know, hard to say what the person who put it is thinking, but I'm thinking... Um, Corporate dinner parties, perhaps uh, the weekends where they have, uh, you know, a, a, a corporate uh, management development retreats, and they need entertainment for an evening event, that kind of thing. That's the primary thing I'm thinking. Trade shows is a little more, you know, <laughs> I, I think trade shows has got to be a lifestyle for a lot of people. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, you know, like the evening or weekend retreat type events, perhaps. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, um, again, with the magic shop, you know, we do tuition and we do coaching. And one of the, the um, more popular things that people come to the to the shop to talk about, or come to us to talk about, is that transition from learning magic as a hobby to starting getting some gigs, uh, really just to a supplement their income. Not everybody wants to be a professional magician and and do it full time, uh, but supplement their income or even pay back the, 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 all the cost of the magic tricks we've all bought over the years and, and are filling up our shelves and filling up our bedrooms and things like that. That's so, uh, yeah. And, and where do you start? Right. And, and I, I always say the same thing. The first thing you're going to need to do is get experience to make sure that you have an act. Um, and if you've Learn to load of tricks. You probably already know enough tricks because you don't need loads and loads of tricks to do magic commercially. You need to build an act together. So we need to set up some sets of tricks which are going to work together um, and that you're going to use as your material. 
then you're going to need some experience. And I would say doing voluntary work, first of all, to get some experience in magic. Um, what I recommend is contacting care homes, nursing homes. I, I don't know what you call them in the States, but uh, retirement homes. Uh, approaching some of those locally and seeing whether you're able to go over there and entertain um, in the guest room. Um, and most of those places are full of people. They're very bored. Um, they're after some entertainment. There's no budget. They'll absolutely love it. Um, and you're doing some good in the community, but you'll also get an idea of what table hopping is like um, as everyone's sat around, you know, at tables or, or, or in a group. And you'll get some experience on that. You can test your material. Once you've got material or you've got an act that, that's ready to go, you're going to need to actually get out and start marketing. Um, and what I would advise, you know, I would probably start with something like wedding, weddings to, uh, as an introduction. Um, and the route for that, for me, was doing wedding exhibitions. Yeah, it's really easy to, um, to get into that. Look on the local Yellow Pages or something like that. Um, find three or four venues that are close to you and contact those venues and ask them who organises their wedding exhibitions. Uh, now, there'll generally be one or two organisers that do all of the exhibitions in those areas, that dominate that area for exhibitions, and they do them for each of the hotels or, or uh, uh, venues in your area. Then you phone them and you ask them for a list of uh, wedding exhibitions which are going to be coming up. Generally, they'll be booking exhibitions maybe six months in advance and book yourself onto one of those. Uh, a table, a small table, is probably going to cost you a couple of hundred dollars um, for a stand. Uh, and I would say that that's the key. If you haven't done anything commercially and you want to start building uh, clients and you want to start doing magic for money, um, in that kind of setting, then wedding exhibitions would be a great way to do it. You turn up, you've got a little table there, you don't need a fancy backdrop or anything like that. Um, you just need maybe a pop-up with your name, um, some business cards, uh, and you're standing there in front of it, and you're performing magic to every bride and groom that comes past you. Uh, you've got 200 people there that are specifically there to book entertainment, um, and, and to design the biggest party of their lives. So it's a great way to just stand there and do two or three tricks to as many people as possible and hand out your card and take their email address um, and, uh, and start getting some contacts that way. And you'll find from doing wedding exhibitions, you'll get, you know, a wedding will have 100, 150 guests um, that are going to be exposed to you. Some of those are going to have dinner parties and, and events. Some of them are going to be business owners. But you're also being introduced to the venues. So those hotels are going to see you, um, and you can give a card to the hotel manager and, um, and get exposure that way. So it leads in quite nicely into uh, um, event work too. And now if, if you want some more information about that, we've, uh, we've produced an e-book about uh, doing wedding exhibitions. It's completely free. And you can get it from the blog, uh, which is blog.magicshop.co.uk. Uh, you can download it. Uh, and uh, it shows you how to book a wedding exhibition, um, how to set up, what type of tricks to perform, uh, and how to follow up afterwards. So, uh, yeah, you can download that. And that's sort of the advice that you have, uh, have got from, from doing it for a few years.
That's great. We're, we're going to be posting a link to that location later on. Uh, you know, I'm going to actually mention before we get off the, the long list of great articles you have on your site and the ebooks that are available for download. This is uh, really solid gold material. Like, very, very cool stuff. Um, real food for thought. Cheers. Again, we've, we've wedding exhibitions, you know. Um, uh, if, if you're doing those, if, if that, uh, that's a great thing. But what I also say is that every day there's no reason why every day you can't make one thing, one move to go and get some new work. So just as much as practicing your magic, you should be having a copy of um, Yellow Pages, you know, or Craigslist or something like that. And you should send a letter off to one company every single day um, or make one phone call every single day. It's, it's five minutes. But a little letter of introduction with a business card uh, posted out just as a little introduction and then a, maybe a follow-up call four or five days later takes no time at all, but hardly any magicians do it. Right, right. So um, – you need to do that. And, and it's so easy to find all these different companies and, and, and just send a letter of introduction. Most of them will be ignored, but you only need one or two. When you follow up, uh, they'll keep your card and may, may think about you when, when they've got an event. So, again, you need to really just every day do something to introduce yourself to a company or introduce yourself to a venue. Um, and, uh, and you've got to keep that going. It's it's a relentless process, basically, but, but never stops. You know, you'll, you'll get repeat bookings from events, but you can't rest on that. You should always have a degree of marketing as well that's, that's carrying on um, forward. So that's another thing that we, we talk about again on the blog a lot, uh, and, and it's helped me considerably. That's great. Do, do you find you get um, much word-of-mouth uh, contact? Uh, this is really two questions. Um, you know, when yeah. you're at a successful event, whether – you know, whether whether happy, you know, event bookers or planners who book you, you know, suggest you to other people. And then another one is a kind of a different question, which is if you're at an event and people express interest in you, do you feel comfortable giving them contact information at that event, marketing yourself during an event, you know, to people who are attending it? Yeah, very, very much so. Um, you know, you should you should always go with a whole load of business cards. And if you, uh, I think it was Paul Daniels that said, if you've got business cards on you at the end of an event, you've done something wrong. <laughs> I think it was, uh, it was an audience with Paul Daniels. He said, who, who here has got a whole load of business cards? Hold them up. Uh, and he was like, shame on you. You should have got rid of them already. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so uh, if you're working for an agent, then you shouldn't really hand out your own business cards. Um, if you've got permission. Um, with agents that you work on regularly with, I'll normally say to the agent, can I produce a copy of your business card, but it'll have my name on it? Um, and if they don't already have that, they'll, they'll generally say, yeah, that's absolutely fine. And then I'll be using their business cards, uh, but it'll have my name on there as, as the magician. But um, I'll go straight away. Um, if I'm at a venue, the first thing I'll do when I'm doing my walk around scanning of the place before the, the – um, the, the evening starts, I go straight over to the tables and I check what's on the tables. If I see the photographer, the event photographer's business cards on the tables, um, I know that it's okay maybe to leave a couple of my cards on there. Or I'll check with a client, client beforehand and ask, are you happy for a few of my cards to be on each table? 
I'll always leave a few business cards over on the bar if there's a bar area and I'll ask the barman, can I leave a few here? Uh, because a lot of people go over to the bar and they're queuing and they're waiting and they're going to see the cards there. Um, and I will do, I will hand out my business cards during walk, during the uh, mix and mingle part um, of uh, magic, especially if I can do a trick that requires me to write something down. Um, I have my business card is blank on the back. It's not laminated on the back, so I can write on it. Um, and generally, I will, um, I will, I will uh, uh, hand that out as much as possible. And I found a recent tip um, as well that I've done that there's a lot of magic airing at the moment in the UK. Uh, Dynamo Magician Impossible um, is being aired all the time on, on watch in the UK. Um, and uh, Killer Magic as well um, is airing. So there's a lot of TV shows about magic. And I'll say at the end, um, hey, guys, if you enjoyed this, you might want to know that Dynamo Magician Impossible is, is airing at the moment on, on Channel 4. Um, and it's really good if you like this sort of magic and you want to see some more, you know, check it out. And if they say, oh, yeah, that's interesting, I pull out a business card and I write Dynamo Magician Impossible uh, or Tuesdays at 4 o'clock, and I give it to them. Uh, so I'll recommend a magic show which is airing. Um, and they love that. I handed out my business card, but it also means that when they watch this show, they remember me. And they remember, oh yeah, this magician told me and recommended this magic show. So I can jump into their mind when they're watching a really fantastic magician on TV and being impressed. And they remember and they've got my card. Uh, So I'm helping that. I'm helping the TV network, but I'm also giving out my card at the same time. All right. I can tell you have really thought about this a lot. <laughs> very good. Very good. I love this. I love this. Uh, you can, I can see why you've written a bunch of articles now at this point, too, because you've got your mind's really full of a lot of details. Um, thinking again for a second, you were talking about, you know, when when uh, considering putting business cards out when you arrive at an event. I know that the arrival at an event is a is a is a very important point for people. Uh, a lot of folks have had trouble uh you know, no one, of course, wants to be late. That would be a disaster. But even being a few minutes early is probably not enough, especially if you've never seen the venue before. So I don't know if it, you know if you have any thoughts on that, or have you ever experienced getting to a venue and finding something completely different from what you expected that you had to make changes to in order to be able to proceed? Yeah, I have. You know, and if if you work, that's happened to me a lot. And if you've uh, if you do shows, you'll know that one of the things which can drive you mad is you turn up to an event and everything's changed. Um, you turn up to an event and they've decided that they're going to do a raffle or a uh, they're going to do a quiz halfway through the the meal between courses. Um, so uh, or they've got um, I don't know opera singing staff uh, waiters and waitresses that are going to start performing in between courses. Um, or, <laughs> that, that drives you nuts because and um, um, also as well if um, you arrive and you suddenly decide, discover that okay it's a hundred guests but they're all in one long square table rather than individual tables. Right. So suddenly those things are going to change completely the magic you do and the dynamics you do. Because uh, especially with a long table, if you perform a trick, you can't really just move along to, to you can't move along uh, three or four feet and perform the same trick again. Um, you've, got to, you've, you've got to basically change your material as you're working right round. So it's really important that you get there early and you find out 
exactly the layout, and I get to a gig at least an hour before it starts. Right. Uh, and I'll sit in the car um, just for a little hour, and, and again, that's why uh, on the blog you see little videos of me um, when I get to a gig, I often record like a little short video. It's there because I'm, I'm like an hour early before it starts. So I'm, I've set up and I'm twiddling my thumbs. So I stick the iPhone somewhere on, on a wall and I record a quick little tip or a little something that's popped into my head on the drive up there. Um, but I get there early and I scout around the venue and I make sure I've seen exactly the layout so there's no surprises there. I also do that because of nerves, because I get stage fright before every single gig, but I do. Not so much now, but I'm always nervous. So I get there and I'm setting up, and it's important I get myself into a positive frame of mind. So when I'm in and I'm relaxed and I'm looking around the place, I can then sort of tell myself a little joke or um, practice, get, get smiling and get the energy up and get my posture relaxed and sort of open up um, so that I'm not just thinking about the fact that the traffic was delayed and I've rushed in and, and I'm all tense and I'm all huddled up because I've been going through my close-up case. Um, I want to stretch out, sort of put my hands up in here and get sort of right, ready so that when I walk in, I'm presenting, I'm looking happy and I'm looking like I'm having fun. Right. And you won't be that early to, to get yourself in that sort of mood. So that's why I get there an hour early. <laughs> that, that, that's a really good idea. I, I uh, Myself, I always try to make sure I get there very early because I'm, the thing that makes me most nervous is the possibility of being late. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, but And when you get there, do you make a point usually to, you know, to go and, and introduce yourself to the event? You know, the person who's running the event, make sure that they know you're all ready to go. Ask, you know, ask them if they've got questions or vice versa, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I normally walk in. First thing I do is uh, ask to find a client. If the client's arrived, I'll introduce myself. I'll ask them a few questions about the, the event and just generally a little bit of a chat. I'll give them a card. Um, I'll ask them with a, sometimes I'll give them a few cards and say people may ask you through the evening who the magician was. So here's a few cards just in case you, you want to hand them out to people. And it's a nice way of being able to introduce the fact that I do have business cards. Um, and if they have a problem with the fact that I am going to leave a couple of cards or give cards to a guest, I'll ask them whether there are any important tables. Um, any important particular guests that they would like um, focused on. I find out where they're sitting uh, because their table is generally, the booking table will generally have the guests that they're, they're, um, they're most interested in entertaining. Uh, so I want to make sure that that table is focused on and maybe returned to as well. That's a great point. Mm. Then after I've spoken to the client, oh, I'll, find, I'll ask them how many guests as well. Have they got anything else planned? Are their speeches uh, planned? Because sometimes uh, you don't find out about that on a booking form. Uh, so I want to know if there's going to be a presentation or whether there's going to be some photos halfway through or there's going to be some awards. Um, and then I tell them, that's fine. I've got everything I need. So you can just forget about me now. I'm going to go and set up and then I'll start um, and I'll carry on through and I'll see you at the end. Um, and then uh, from that point, I'll go off and I'll find a quiet corner where I'm going to leave my bag. Uh, and that's going to be my sort of setup place. Um, I'll leave that there. I'll grab 
uh, a deck of cards and I'll grab a, a couple of tricks and I'll go very quickly and I'll speak to um, either the maitre d' or the restaurant manager or the event manager, just introduce myself and I'll ask from which side of the room that they're serving um, they're serving from and to um, because I want to work from the opposite side of the room. So it's important I know where the waiters and waitresses are going to be coming in, where they're going to be exiting. Um, I'm also going to ask them what time food is being served. And I'm also going to ask as well, if I can, I'm going to explain that I'm going to be doing some close-up magic. And I'm going to ask whether it's possible that the waiters and waitresses don't offer canapes to a group while I'm there performing. Uh, good. Um, they don't mind that at all. And a lot of people think, well, OK, it's not my place to, to say. But if you say, look, I'm going to be performing, I'm going to be doing some magic, and if the canapes come in, it's going to ruin it for the guests because they're going to forget what's happened. And it'll spoil the trip. Generally, the waiters and waitresses don't mind about that at all. And they will wait. They won't approach um, and, and offer canapes suddenly when you're there just about to load a, uh, your chop cup. Um, or, or you've, you've got your hand there ready to do like a coins across or something and suddenly uh, um, some canapes come in. You, you don't want that. So, <laughs> and, and often at that point, they'll say, oh, you're a magician, you show us a trick, and I might show them a, a quick trick. Just something very quick because I don't want to take up their time. So it might be a little sponge ball routine or something like that. Um, so, I'm, so just quick so that they're having some fun and they know the kind of magic that's going to happen. Um, so, yeah, it's really important. Speak to the client straight away. Speak to the restaurant manager and tell the, the waiters and waitresses as well. But you, you don't want to be interrupted if possible. Uh, and that you're not going to get in their way by asking the direction that, that they're serving from shows that you're not going to be there interrupting and you're not going to be, you know, under their feet. Right. Right. And it gets them on your side right away because they can see you're concerned with their needs as well. They're just as nervous as you are sometimes probably to be serving an event like that. That's great. That's terrific. So let's see. Um, wow. You write a book on, uh, on – well, you've written some e-books, but you can write a book on some of that material right there. Okay. <laughs> this back and taking notes later on. I really like this. Um, so let's see. We have, all right. Here's a couple of, of – of uh, these are real enigmas, and I don't know if you have an answer for them or not. But <laughs> two phrases that somebody has posted was "finish this phrase." Dominic Ray's isn't <laughs> as good as he'd like to be. <laughs> so I, um, <laughs> I'm always interested in how. I'm not really now interested in, in tricks anymore. Um, I will. I will run a magic shop, and I see. I have an enormous wall. You know, we have 3,000 magic DVDs in stock. Um, I have more magic that I can watch than I'm ever going to watch. And there's more magic tricks coming in than I'm ever going to do. And the new magic now bores me in that respect. It's very, very, there's so much magic there that I know I'm never going to do it. I've got the magic I want. And it's very rare that something comes in that I think, wow, I'm really going to need to do that. So I've got to the stage where I have the material that I need, but I'm not at the stage where I can, um, but I'm the performer that I want to be. So what really interests me at the moment is presentation and the psychology and the dynamics of performing. Um, so the books I read on magic tend to be like, uh, there's a great book, Scripting for Magicians. Um, I don't know who it's by, but um, I've written a review on it, on it about the blog. 
magic by any chance? Scripting magic, that's right, yeah. Scripting magic, maximum entertainment. Uh, uh, Pete, Pete McCabe, I think, is the name of the author on that one. And, and uh, yeah, 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 Maximum Entertainment. Those are both fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I'd be approached by uh, Jamie Grant. Yes. Um, yeah, uh, and uh, you know, great books. And, and that for me is the exciting part of magic now. Right. Um, right. So uh, that's what I want to focus on, and I'm a long way away from being where I want to be with it. Um, what you mentioned about about you know the uh, not needing to learn any more tricks. I mean, that mirrors something again that Eugene Berger, I believe, said about the the, a tyr- the tyranny of tricks. I think I don't know if that's him or not, but he said the tyranny of tricks, the tyranny of the new. Yeah. Those lines about just having too much. Stop trying to learn more magic tricks yeah. and start learning what it is you're doing to entertain. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. A lot of people have said, you know, on our blog, you know, we're a magic shop and we're and we're sort of one of the biggest in 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 Europe now. Um, and yet we write about the fact and we promote the fact that you don't need to be buying all the latest magic. Right. You already know enough magic. And a lot of people say, isn't that sort of a contradiction? Um, but I don't think it is, because it doesn't matter what we say. You, you, you do magic because you love doing magic, and you love being fooled by magic. So you're always going to want to know. You're going to be fooled by something. You're going to want to know how it's done. You know, you, if you're a magician, you're an inquisitive person. And you're going, to, you, you're, going to, you're going to basically buy a trick because you want to know how it's done half the time. So you're always going to do that. But the danger is if you think that you're going to need to buy all this magic to build this huge act and there's something always missing and you're buying something as if, ah, this is the missing thing. This is the thing that, that, that is going to make me ready to perform magic because it's not. Yeah. Um, buy magic because you, it's fun and you want to perform it or buy it because it's specifically a trick that fits in your act. But don't think that you, you're going to need to just keep on buying magic until you find like this holy grail trick that is going to be the thing that's going to get you out to perform. What's going to get you out to perform is making a commitment today to do something, to get a gig six months down the line. If you've never performed, you need to make a commitment now to do something maybe in the, in the distant future that it doesn't feel quite so scary, maybe like agree to do a, a, some magic at a friend's wedding, but or do anything like that, or agree to work in a um, uh, do a charity event or a, a, a local fundraiser or something like that, but make some way of performing to the public rather than jumping from trick to trick to trick to trick ordering magic thinking that somewhere along the line that's going to turn you into a magician because uh, it isn't all it's going to do is turn you into an encyclopedia of magic right well i mean even taking things that are simpler and have been around for a long time where the where the maybe the method and the pure effect may not be staggering but watching how a real master can take something and turn it into an entertainment event yeah, yeah i actually we had the, the, the luck of going out unexpectedly last night and seeing a performance that included Jeff McBride. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know this event existed until yesterday morning. And we watched him do, uh, first time I saw him do the Miser's Dream with a child from the audience. I don't know if you've ever seen a video of him doing that. 
I saw him do it. He came to he came to the UK and I saw him um, performing it's it. Amazing what he can do. Even before he starts doing it, all he has is a pail and a couple of magic wands, and he finds the kid by having them ring the pail with the magic wand by hitting the pail. And the yeah. byplay between him and the child, getting the child up to the stage, is worth the price of admission just to see the reaction of the kid. Mm. We're realizing, as looking at it, that the real magic was in that that child on the stage. It wasn't the trick he was doing so much as the interaction with the child in the audience. And it's incredible how he could go on for, I don't know, how many minutes with a routine like that. Yeah. And it's only one trick. And it's not like he had to go and, you know, buy that as a new trick last year. He's been doing it for, I don't know, how many decades. And the 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 entertainment value was just through the roof. It was it was incredible. We saw a couple of people last night that were like that. So, at any rate, it's it's incredible what the if, if you commit yourself to perfecting something and developing your your own interpretation of it. Yeah, you know, it's amazing what what can happen. So yeah, it, it's true. It's like um, I recently put together a course, and it's a beginner's course in sleight of hand. Yeah, and there's nothing new there in that course at all. It's three DVDs, which are already on the market. They've been on the market for years. Yeah, but the difference being, we've put them in an envelope with a number one written on it, an envelope with a number two written on it, and an envelope with a number three. And we say in the course, open envelope number one, don't open the other two envelopes for at least a month. So for month one, you only open that envelope and you just use that material. And then a month later, you open the second one, and a month later, you open the third. And then, obviously, there's there's a whole load of support as well and, and uh, uh, by email and by video. But the whole idea is to slow people down and make them concentrate on one trick because it, it's so easy, especially if you're online with magic shops, it's so easy to browse, get all excited, buy a trick. Um, you're excited about the trick. You're excited about it coming. The package arrives. You rip it over, open. You get a little bit of jiffy bag rage because it's kind of like intrinsically disappointing because it's it's the method, and the method isn't as exciting as the effect. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And you, and you play with it, and you play with it for a little while, and the fun is gone because the fun was the magic that you saw, the demo that you saw, and the, the magic that, that how it made you feel, not maybe necessarily learning it. So um, it ceases to be fun, and it, it starts to just be hard work. So you want the fun back, so you go back onto the website and you start looking at what's new, and you... The fun's there again, and you order something, and you forget about the trick that you bought, and you forget about all the good intentions you had, <laughs> and you're waiting for that package to arrive, and oh, it's exciting, you rip it open, and uh, and and it goes on, you and you don't stop and learn the items that you do. All you're doing is shopping. Right. And uh, magic's more than shopping. Uh, magic's hard work, and it's focus, and it's slowing it right down and mastering something. Uh, and I want the magic shop, and I want the customers of the magic shop to be about that, rather than necessarily about jumping from trick to trick to trick to trick. Okay. Um, and I don't think, as a business point of view, that has to be a contradiction. I think you can still have a business that slows people down and focuses them on using the magic they buy, rather than saying, okay, this is what's new and this is what's hot, and this is what will make you a great magician. Because um, it isn't. 
it's the trick you already have, the package you received last week, which is sat there uh, next to your computer while you're browsing the What's New section. That's the trick that would make you a magician, yeah. <laughs> not the website. Uh, and so, you know, that's what that's what I'm uh, I'm trying to do with the blog, basically, um, is say that you already know enough magic. That's really valuable. I'll tell you, it's almost embarrassing. You hit a little too close to home there. I've been guilty of exactly that syndrome in the past myself. I've luckily mm -hmm. broken myself of the habit. Um, but uh, it's, it's there's uh, nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. Shopping's fun, but it is shopping. Well, in some ways, I think during a certain point in, when you're trying to develop or maybe even migrate to a new approach, that that it's okay to sample a lot to try on and see what fits. But then once you have some things that fit, obviously, you've got to start working with them. And if you don't, you keep looking for something that's easy or doesn't yeah. require work. There's a lot of talk about, uh, you know, things that require no slights or uh, self-working. And, yeah, there's a lot of that is great. But, again, like you say, once you, once, you know what you, once you know who you are and you know what you're doing, you have to start focusing on development. And that's, yeah. uh, How long does that go on for? How many years does that go on for, that search? Because uh, I, I know musicians I'm still doing, we're all searching still. We're all searching for that trick. Right. But, but we never find. We go to the magic conventions to find that trick, and we go to and we scour around the dealer halls to find it, and we never really find it. We come back, we spend a fortune, but we're still always searching for that amazing trick, which is, is the one that, that is the difference between us being a success in magic and not. Uh, but it's not the trick. It's already inside you. It's a presentation. Right. I, I think, you know, from, speaking for myself, I think I've finally gotten it to a point where, you know, again, I have a very focused repertoire, and I work with that. I, I think people may still have a time when, you know, they'll spend a period of looking and searching and evaluating what's out there. Maybe you don't buy the things just because you like them. And you ask yourself before you purchase something, can I really – Am I going to picture myself using this and integrating it into my act? And if so, where? Before yeah. the money on it. And then, uh, but I sort of see it as a time, you know, I do spend periods when I look out and see what other people are doing and think about how some of those things may fit for me. And then I come back into myself and focus on the stuff that's my core, you know, material and, and work on making it better. Yeah. Well, how, how many magicians, how many magicians, when they, they think about what they're going to buy, um, say, right, OK, what, what would I do if I could really do magic? Right. I've done uh, I, I'm going to do an ambitious card. What, what would I do after the ambitious card? What would I do with the deck? If I could really do magic, I'd make the deck um, levitate off and go back into the box, which is on the table. Right. I will search for a method to do that trick. Because that's the magic I want to present. And they don't. We search the other way around. We, we don't decide first what we would do if we could really do magic or what would fit into our act at any given point. We search random tricks, find out what excites us, and then try and build that into our magic in some way. Uh, and maybe that's the wrong way around. I'm as guilty as, it, uh, as anyone. I watch a demo, I think, that's a brilliant trick. I think I could do that. Uh, and I think it would suit me. I'll buy it when I should be thinking, um, OK, I've just done the chop cup and I've got uh, an orange on the table. What could I do with that orange if I really could do magic? 
um, I'd have something appear in it and then search for a way to make that happen or a product which made that happen or a trick that made that happen. Um, and I think that that's probably a better way to shop, um, much harder, but maybe we should look at our acts first and the magic we do and then shop for that rather than shop and try and tie it all together into an act. Right. I mean, I, yes, I mean, I've even seen people who are very focused on learning new slights also, which is nothing wrong with that. It's good to have a repertoire of slights to use, but they'll actually find a great new method, you know, with their hands and try and find a way to use, what am I going to use that slight for now? And try and think mm -hmm. something up again. It's completely backwards. Yeah. But, uh, time vampires here as well. You know, a lot of guys come to the, to the magic shop for tuition and they're fantastic at sleight of hand. Yeah, but they can't actually perform a trick. They can do some really cool color changes and they can do some really great flourishing. But you say, oh, that's, re that's excellent. That's really cool. Show me some magic. And they haven't really got anything. And they've spent years in this kind of a trap, which is learning slights without any kind of reason. Um, and it's a time vampire. It sucks up all of your time that you could be creating proper magic. Uh, so we always say, forget about sleight of hand. Only learn a slight if you've got a real reason to do it that can't be done by any other method, and you need that technique. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. You're, you're reading a book, not starting at the beginning and reading it. You're just jumping to chapters, and, um, and you don't get the whole story. You need to work through and learn something because there's a reason to learn it, uh, other than maybe just collecting moves. Unless you're doing it for fun, and you know some people enjoy collecting moves and showing moves to their friends and things like that, but but that's more that isn't necessarily becoming a magician. That's learning sleight of hand, and, and the two are very different. Uh, I think they're very di different topics. That's like 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 we say, it's very easy to become a magic collector without ever being a performer, and that's something we want to try to avoid if possible. Yeah, well, I, I write um, I write an article about you know, do we really need sleight of hand? And um, I have nothing against magician putting together an act without a single slight in it. You know, you can you can be a professional magician and only know a double lift. Right. You don't need anything more than a double lift to do a whole commercial act. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And um, so anything more than that, unless there's a reason for it, is is um, is just play. Right. I mean, yeah. Unless your act is as a card manipulator. You can do tremendous magic without learning much in the way of slights, it's true. Yeah, um, I think a lot of people are put off by magic because they think it's all about sleight of hand. Right. It doesn't really have to be so. Right. And, whether, and again, it also gets back to the idea of, you know, are you presenting, and people have different approaches to this, but, you know, there are some who present entertainment as a display of skill, and there are others who present impossibilities and, and mystery. And it's a different approach to things, but you don't necessarily you can do a lot of mystery without a lot of without a lot of physical dexter you know dexterity. Um, so it's, it's a wide spectrum of, of people's approaches. Yeah, I can be just as entertained by a magician that uses nothing but gimmicks right. as I can by a magician who's using pure sleight of hand. Right. It's just as entertaining. Um, technically, as a magician, I would be, you know, you could say, oh, well, the sleight of hand has taken years to learn. Um, but you're not performing for magicians. You're performing for people that know nothing about magic. And they don't care 
uh, excuse me, car going past, but they don't care um, about technique. It's not their business. Right. Their business is to have fun and be shown something amazing. And if it uses a gimmick or it uses a, 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 a slight hand, it's none of their business. Right. Well, again, if you're if you're presenting, you know, if you're presenting from the mystery point of view and not doing flourishes, you don't want them to think at all about technique. It has nothing to do with technique. It's uh, it's magic instead. So. Yeah, technique's just a, just just the mechanics. Right. And uh, I don't know. I think we're 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 too wrapped up in it. We're too wrapped up in. Um, we're too wrapped up in technique. Right. And, and, and as you said, performing for magician friends instead of real live audiences. So, yeah. yeah. Actually, that leads into a thought, too, of, about we were talking about, you know, marketing yourself in events. Do you do anything to specifically to go out and get testimonials from people and, and, and get quotes from people? Um, I, I do a little. Um, obviously, I hand out my cards. Um, if I'm approaching a, group, a, a table, one of the things which is quite useful, if you're performing and you don't, it, this feels awkward the first time you do it, but there's no reason to to feel awkward about it. Um, say to everyone, hey, if you've got a smartphone, get your phones out. I want you to record this and um, and have everyone around the table that's got a smartphone pull out their phone and record you performing a trick. Uh, and they love it, yeah, any excuse. And you'll have four or five people um, recording. And then you can say, oh, can you send me a copy? Uh, or you can say, oh, feel free to load it onto Facebook or um, put it onto Twitter. Um, and so um, you should do that and sort of get them to spread it and put it on Facebook and get it, get them sharing the videos and things. Um, but I will write to a client afterwards, um, or if I'm working for an agent, I'll ask the agent as well if there's any feedback from a client. Um, and I'll get testimonials that way. Um, not so much now because uh, really don't need that many. Uh, I do always keep, you know, even though you're doing gigs all the time, I always make a note of every single company that I'm performing for. Um, and then um, if you're building in my marketing or anything like that, I'll ask whether I can use their logo or whether I can, I can say um, a client list includes blah, 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 and I'll list the clients on there. So um, to some extent, that's useful. When you're building a website, you're building your marketing. Um, but you don't need to be overboard on it um, because really, every time you perform, you, you're pitching because you're handing out your cards. Oh, awesome, awesome. Okay. So I'm actually um... – I'm close to the end of the, of the list of questions that was asked, but another list I have next to me, which is, you know, really suggests a lot of good subjects, is the list of articles that are on your site. And I thought maybe I would just, you know, look through this really quickly and uh, ask you a couple of things about these, and then I'm going to direct people to go and read the articles, and I'm going to read the rest of them myself as well. Yeah, uh, thank you. You've got, some, you've got some great titles here from... Uh, I like the very first one is the pitfalls of performing magic to your family and friends. So what are the pitfalls? <laughs> well, yeah, there's, a, there's an ebook that you can download about, uh, about that. So one of the things that I do, you know, we get loads and loads of questions from magicians um, coming through to the magic shop. And we look at that. We try and find ways to help and find ways to answer that. And um, one of the big ones is the fact that, for most people buying magic, their audience is going to be their family and friends. And really, both that's a terrible audience to perform magic to. Uh, <laughs> it really is bad. So right when you're beginning and you're gaining confidence in performing, 
you're performing to people that are not going to give you confidence because you can't really know for sure that the feedback that you're getting is genuine. Those people love you. Um, they, they're not going to tell you if you're terrible. They're not going to tell you what they saw a card going or something like that. Or they're going to be exactly the opposite and they're going to try and catch you out. Uh, and they're going to grab your deck of cards and they're going to want to play with all your props and things like that and not take you seriously. Those guys know you before you're a magician. Um, so they know that you're not really magic. Uh, and they know that you haven't spent years and years and years learning sleight of hand. Um, you started learning magic four weeks ago. So even yeah. in the back of their mind, right. yeah, if you perform the most amazing thing, amazing trick to them, they know that it probably only took you three or four weeks to learn it. Right. So it's really hard to, to gain anything positive from that audience. And again, it's the same group you perform to time and time and time again. So you can't take a trick and perform it 20 times or 30 times or 40 times to an audience. Right. Uh, so, so you can't even work in a trick from them. You've got to find strangers. You need to find a public way of performing. Right. You necessarily need to be paid, uh, but you've got to find a constant stream of new people that don't have to flatter you and will give you honest feedback and will show you whether what you're doing is entertaining or not. Right. Um, so it's a bad audience. And uh, we wrote an ebook basically trying to persuade people not to perform to their family and friends as part of their magic process and to get out and find another way of, of gaining an audience. And we suggest some different ways that they can, uh, they can, uh, they can find some spectators that but, but will push their magic forwards. Right. I, I, no, I think that's generally good advice, especially if you know, someone's starting out fresh and doesn't have any experience at all. Uh, yeah, we, we get so many people coming and, and sending an email through saying, um, I'm finding that people grab the deck of cards, or I'm finding oh, that this trick's never going to work for me because they're going to want to inspect the bottle, or uh, this trick is going to work for me because um, there's no way, well, it's just, it, it's no way it's going to fool these people because they're going to ask loads of questions. And half the time straight away, I'll be thinking, okay, this guy is mainly performing for his family and friends. Yeah, um, who will ask all the awkward questions. Um, who, they probably haven't even asked you to show them some magic half the time, but you've got a new trick and you're really excited. So, hey, look here, will you? Most magicians' wives hate magic yeah, for a really good reason. Yeah. <laughs> I'm laughing. My wife is sitting across from me in the room and she's laughing. <laughs> she likes it. She loves it. No, you know, I'll say that there's yeah, actually another... loves you, and that's why she says she loves it. <laughs> no, she actually does. She actually does. But uh, there, there's a couple of other factors that come to mind, too, and, you know, two things pop into my head. And one is that the problem of family and friends for a beginner is, is a major problem. Um, and because you're not getting valid experience and because you may, you know, you may run into trouble with them. I think it's also oddly enough, an age thing, possibly, you know, speaking as an old guy, um, there is a certain, the one advantage to being a, a little more advanced in age is you get a little more respect from people. No one's going to steal the deck of cards out of my hands. And, uh, and luckily I have been able through some family and friend get togethers over the past few years to develop new material, but it, as the problem that you point out is quite true, you have to have new material every year if you're going to do like an annual party for family and friends. And that 
that I don't know whose quote it was, but somebody made an interesting observation saying that the big difference and the challenge between being a, an amateur and a professional is that amateurs are constantly having to perform new tricks for the same audiences, where professionals are perfecting and performing the same tricks for different audiences all the time. And I think that understanding that is a, is a great asset to trying to move into the professional world if you're, if you're true that, that's true Andy, but you don't you can be an amateur magician and still have new audiences oh that's true too that's true too i mean but generally certainly the professionals are definitely always performing i think they were talking about family and friend magicians yeah right yeah well right. i would say you know it's it's the job of it's the job of a, of a, a magic dealer right yeah, to try and persuade these guys that are only performing to their family and friends to expand their audiences. Right. And, um, and when I say that, uh, you know, rather than performing to your family and friends, there, there are so many ways in the community that you could use your magic to help your community. That's right. There are so many things. You, you don't even need to have an event um, already that you can go to. You can set up your own event. You can contact your local radio station and say that you're going to do um, some magic somewhere or you're going to do an illusion to raise some money for charity or even just to highlight a local um, project or something like that right. um, in your area. Um, there, are, there are charity events happening all the time, but they won't pay you, but it doesn't matter. You can offer your services to them and they'll be really happy for you to come along and perform magic at their at their um at their fair or you know whatever they're doing um and you can do it and we should do it and we don't we just we just perform down in the bar to the same group of people and to our friends uh and buy the next trick and perform it and buy the next trick and perform it and uh it can be more than that <laughs> yeah. yep amazing amazing so let's see. I'm going to continue looking down just the titles of your articles because some of these suggest great subjects. What what are the three danger signs for successful magicians? Uh, oh God, it was quite a while since I wrote that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can't remember. I think, um, if I remember, and it might be different to what's written on there because okay. uh, I think that was about two years ago I wrote it. But um, I, it, oh yes, believing your own hype. Right. Um. It is stopping rehearsals, stopping rehearsal and becoming bored of the magic that you do. So falling into a pattern where you're not thinking about your presentation anymore, uh, not not keeping up that excitement. Right. Because you've seen a magic trick um, hundreds of times and you've done this presentation hundreds of times, but your spectators seeing it for the very first time. And it's very easy to think that they're seeing what you did when you first started performing this trick four or five years ago and not realising that they're seeing it with fresh eyes. So um, you need to, like, record yourself and you need to check that you're still performing with the same energy and the same excitement that you did when you first started performing that trick. Um, And as you get busier, it's very easy to think, this always works for me. I can just turn up for a gig and I can just go through the motions and it's going to work. This, this is, they're going to love it. And they will like it, but they might not be liking it the same as your audience, the audience that you performed to two years ago did. Right, right. Um, and I would say, the, the, and I, I think I touch on that on that uh, blog post, uh, that it doesn't matter how, 
how long you've been performing, you can always benefit from recording yourself and watching yourself again and just checking that you're still as fresh as you were one or two years ago when you started doing that set. Now, that, that's, that's a terrific idea. And I mean, I think what you're saying applies to any performing art, the same in music or acting or anything else, that if you don't have that spark that inspired you, it's going to come across as, as going through the motions for the audience. Yeah. You know, there's a really good website that has nothing to do with magic. It's called The Bulletproof Musician. And um, it's a guy, um, he's written a guest blog um, post for us on, on the site. But it's all about performing as a, as a musician and practicing as a musician. And it's a gold mine of information for magicians, even though it's ma music. Just change the, the word music to magic. Um, and it's a fantastic blog. And um, if, if you read that, uh, you'll get so much information that, that applies so much to, to uh, magicians from a different point of view. That's great. No, I just wrote that down. I mean, uh, for my own, in my own thinking, too, on it is I, 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 if I can't really imagine being bored with it, I guess. And, and it, it, for me, the, the experience isn't the trick. It's the it's the people there. It's the look in people's faces. It's the jaws dropping the gasp that you hear or, or people laughing and smiling. I mean, that's the whole experience. I cannot imagine getting bored with that. I think if I was bored with that, I would get out, you know, but, uh, but that's what draws me back to it again and again. So yeah. when I say bored, I think if, if you, if you're presenting the same trick over and over and over again, you become so familiar with it that um, the energy goes for bored. It's not so much necessarily boredom, but, the energy's not there, that you know it so well. You, you're, in, you're watching the guests, you're thinking about the guests, and you're enjoying, like you said, how they're reacting, and you're forgetting maybe to put as much excitement in your own presentation. Um, you need to be smiling quite so much. You're busy thinking about what you're going to do next Wednesday, uh, or you're thinking about the table that you need to return to a bit later because that guy said you were really cool and he had a dinner party uh, in three weeks' time. So you're thinking about the fact that you're going to give a business card to that guy a bit later. Yeah. Um, but what you should be doing is bringing that energy and that excitement as if you're having as much fun as the guests are. And when you're repeating something over and over and over again, you lose that. Yeah. You know, if you go into a high street and you see the guys that are selling newspapers and they're shouting out New York Times, New York Times, and after a while it doesn't sound like New York Times, it just sounds like gobbledygook because they've said it so many times over again that they don't realise that they're not saying it properly anymore and they're just shouting standard or something like that. Or market traders as well, they're saying two for a pound apples. And to them it still sounds distinct, but that's because they're, they've become stale uh, and they probably enjoy their job just as much. But they need to, that's why you should record and just double check. And, and I think that's a danger um, that, that um, you can fall into if you perform um, successfully and you become over overconfident with the magic that you're doing. Right. I can't remember what the third one is. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'll need to check the blog as well. <laughs> That's fine. Well, reread it once in a while, right? <laughs> so so you, you talked briefly about scripts before and, and uh, that fantastic book, Scripting Magic. You, you, you posted an article about one reason magicians hate scripts. Do you remember that one? Yeah, well, there's a lot of reasons magicians hate scripts. I had a big argument with, um, there's a, an excellent magician, Russ Andrews, really creative guy, um, who um, 
he hates scripting and he just wants to jazz his magic. Sure. Uh, and he'll turn up, he won't know what he's going to do when he arrives at a gig. Uh, he just goes with the flow. And it works really well for him because he's very fast and he's very witty and he thinks on his feet. Um, and, and it can work as well. And it can work really well when it works. But every now and then, you don't feel on your game. You've got a headache. You went out the night before. Um, you're feeling under the weather or something like that. And you have to give exactly the same product. And without a script and without calculating everything and having everything standardized, you can't guarantee you're giving the same product because you've got nothing to fall back on in an emergency. So you're only ever as good as how you're feeling that night. Uh, and it's not fair to say, I wouldn't sell a product to somebody and say, uh, well, I can't guarantee the quality. It will just be how, how it comes. So sometimes it's a, it's a great product. Sometimes it's lousy. It depends whether it was made on a Friday. If I'm selling magic, I need to standardize that product because I, I need to offer that product to be as good for, for one client as it was for every other client. So using a script or using a, a scripting as much as you can means you have a standard and then you can jazz from that and you can put energy into it and you can make it. But if something goes wrong, you've got something to fall back on and you know your product will always be of a standard quality, at least a minimum quality, which you're happy with. Um, so that's one use for scripting. Um, magicians hate scripting because they think it's going to make them just sound root and boring and going through emotions and not have any energy. Um, and bad scripting does that, but good scripting doesn't. The first time you write a script it's, and, and you're learning a script, it's going to sound very boring and it's going to sound very rote. The skill then comes and the mastery of a script and a good public speaker takes a script and makes it sound like it wasn't scripted. Right. Um, and so using the script can be great as long as you've put the work in to making it sound like it's the first time you've said it. Right. But that all comes later. That's the same as musicians go through. If a musician learns to play a piece, then yeah. they may know all the notes, and they may even play them with the correct timing, but there's no expression in it until technique becomes something they don't even think about anymore, and you begin yeah. to express emotions through playing music. And that takes a long That takes quite a bit of time to master and it's the same with speaking you know it's funny a moment ago i was going to say you know i've read someplace about the stages of of learning your script that there's a section where you've learned it and, but it still sounds still and i realized the person who wrote what i what i was reading was you probably <laughs> it's probably this blog post but that's a great piece of advice and a lot of people just as you said they don't want to go through the the first the trouble of scripting and thinking about what they're going to say and yeah, it's uh, hard work. And then what's that? It is hard work. It is writing is not easy, and and uh, and even if you can write, editing is even tougher. Throwing out what you've written to get it down to what's critical is yeah. also very difficult. I know that from experience. Me too. I'm a terrible writer. So the grammar on my blog is awful, and the uh, I can't write. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I get loads of emails about it. But like, if I if I spent all the time doing that, it, I. Done is better than uh, done is better than perfect. Right. <laughs> uh, for me there, because you know I have to do it. But uh, when it comes to presenting magic, there's no excuse for not making it the best you, it can be. 
Right. Especially if you're only doing a few tricks. If you're doing it professionally, you only have to learn a, a few tricks, but you have to learn them as well as you possibly can. And so people hate scripting because they think they only half do it. They think about what they're going to say, they write it down, and then they think it sounds wooden. And that's because it's only half the process. It's the rehearsal then and the delivery and making it just sound natural like the first time you said it. If you listen to most good public speakers, they sound just like they're, they're making it up. And then you go, um, you go two weeks later to exactly the same presentation and they're saying exactly the same thing. But again, it sounds fresh and it sounds like it's the first time they've said it. If you get a chance to see uh, Darren Brown, uh, I don't know if he tours in the States, but you can probably see him in, in um, the US. Um, I went to exactly the same show three times in a row on three different nights. And he sounds like half of it is completely ad-libbed and he's making jokes to the audience. He's reacting and there's little asides and little things go wrong and expressions happen. And it happens in every single performance. And it's the same with, you know, with most stage shows. And, and that's such a good example of how the power of scripting taking it further. That's great. As you said, you have something to fall back on, and that's uh, that's the security that you can find yourself in the middle of confusion. This is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm banging on a bit here, aren't I? <laughs> no, no, I love this. This this is great. No, no, you've really been thinking about it, and you know, uh, I wonder if you think as much or more about teaching and then passing your knowledge to others as you do about performing yourself because you've written a great deal and really good material. I'll tell you, if you want a little bit of feedback, um, we just had a, a comment posted a moment ago from, I, I don't know if you're familiar, you, you know of Chris Filpo, who uh, yeah. created the 100 Monkey and the Talked Out book test. He just, he's been watching apparently. He likes, he said it's a wonderful interview. So much of the material, such as the material on how to approach a table and how to play to the alpha through his guest is incredibly insightful. Must check out the blog. Ah, oh, brilliant. Cheers. Thank you. Well, well I, I use 100th Monkey, so uh, that, that's that's very cool. Well, if you know Chris, then you may want to um, you may want to stay tuned uh, next Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, the 21st. Um, I'm actually going to have the pleasure of interviewing Chris in a Q&A, and uh, I, he's going to be right here, and uh, I, I was glad I mentioned it to him this morning so that he could check out this one and see how they work. That's cool. I'm definitely going to watch that. Also, you've got Patrick Redford, haven't you? Uh, you're yes. going to be interviewing. Yes, on the 31st. And in between now and then, I'm going to be seeing Patrick as well. I, I had the pleasure of being in a masterclass with him at a, at a mentalist's uh, event uh, at the end of March and made his acquaintance there along with Doc Hilford and Mark Salem and a bunch of other people. So, you know, as I was telling you earlier, I've met a lot of wonderful people this year. Yeah, a lot of time for Patrick. That guy, a lot of time for Patrick. That guy knows what he's doing. Both, not only just in his magic, in his mentalism, which is is excellent. Yes. Um, but in um, his approach to uh, marketing himself as a magician. Yes. Um, if you're going to interview him, get him to talk about that because um, that guy knows what he's doing, and um, he, he's going to have some really, really good advice. I'm writing a note on that right now. <laughs> I appreciate that. As I told you before, I'm a little new to this. You're, this is my second interview, and I'm having a lot of fun this time. And I had fun the last time as well. So, uh, so let's see. We're we're doing we're doing great. I've kept you here for over an hour and a half. We'll wrap it up in a minute. Let me just look over here and see, you know, if there's a few more things that might suggest themselves. So I could go on all afternoon, all evening. I know it's getting a little late where you are. 
Um, let's see here. Yeah, saying hello and goodbye. You have yeah. a post on that. I think that that's uh, before we say goodbye. Let me ask you on that. Your thoughts. Saying hello and goodbye. Saying um, when you say saying hello and goodbye, what to spectators? Well, you have a you have actually a post called saying hello and goodbye when you perform magic. So oh, okay. Yeah. Um, well, there's there's two sides to that. You know, I have a lot of posts, but. Um, Saying hello, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff there. <laughs> but um, there's two ways we can do it. If we talked about spectators, I think so. yourself to yourself to right. spectate. A lot of people are very worried about approach, how they approach people. Right. Uh, and I can only say for the way I I do it, but I will go up to a group, introduce myself, uh, explain who I am and what I am. Yeah. So. Say my name, say it at the beginning and the end. Yeah, uh, what I am as a magician, and then I ask them whether they want to see some magic. Um, and that's how I approach. Really simple, very simple. People say, Oh, how, how, how do you get people to pick a card? Then pull out and say, Hey, look, I really want to show you this. Here, look, take a card. And that, that's all you need to do to approach spectators. People are so scared about making an approach. But you just walk up to people and say hi. If they're having a conversation, if there's a group going on, walk up to the group. Don't barge in and interrupt. Join the group as if you're a guest. Right. Listen to the conversation that's happening um, and wait for them to notice you. They're going to notice you because they're going to assume that you're, um, you're probably going to assume you're a waiter. Or that you're there for some sort of reason. For me, they're probably seeing my security, but but um, they're going to pay attention, and that's when you introduce. So if there's a conversation happening, allow that conversation to take place. Um, be one of the guests. Um, ask a question with the other guests. If one of the guests, if someone's saying an anecdote and the other guests are enjoying it, make a comment as well and ask a question as if you're one of the guests. Wait for a break and then introduce yourself. Um, again, saying goodbye. At the end of the show, you should always you know, thank, thank them. Um, again, I use that thing where I recommend whether they um, like me. If they've enjoyed magic, they might want to check out this show, which is on TV, um, and I give them a card. Um, if they've shown some interest, you may give them a card and say, here's a card just in case you ever need a magician, which for some reason gets get a laugh. I don't quite know why, but it's like a random thing to hand out. Um, but, but take the time as well at the end of a gig. If you're talking about sort of audiences, always say goodbye to the client before you leave a gig. Um, even if you have to stay a little bit later, if they're doing a speech or something like that, always say goodbye to the booker. Uh, don't leave a gig because it's, okay, it's 10 o'clock. I've been booked for three hours. I've been booked for two hours. Boom, right, so I'm going home. It doesn't matter. They're doing a speech. Hang around and wait because you're going to get some feedback um, and chances are half the time they're going to say, oh, loads of people have asked me where, you know, asked me about you. Uh, can I have some cards to give out? You can give the booker some cards because their guests will have said, oh, the magician was great. You know, where did you find him? Um, uh, and again, you can say, you know, it would really, especially if you're working for, I'm going on, on here and being random, but uh, there's a lot of information in this. If you're working for an agent... You want to speak to the client and say, uh, and the client said, oh, that was fantastic. Thanks ever so much. You can say, do you know, it would really help me if you contact the agent. It's a new agent I haven't worked for before, very much before. Could you write a small testimonial in, uh, about me and about the experience of booking me and send it to the agent? That would really help me. 
Um, and they do do that. And you get some good feedback and the agents like that as well because they'll use it for their website. Um, so, yeah, take the time to say goodbye. Don't just rush off from a gig. That's great. That's great. Well, I'll tell you, it's, uh, it's been a really great hour and three quarters almost. Um, and I've, I've probably bored you senseless, no. but I could talk about all of this other stuff all day. Because this is why I'm I'm passionate about. I really really. Love I have my no, I have my notes. I've been writing. <laughs> um, and uh, and uh, even even my wife was sitting here nodding her head, pointing her finger, going like, "Yes, remember that." <laughs> uh, as somebody who's you know do, I'm developing you know from a from like I said I'm I'm aiming at a, a career change ultimately with retirement once I know I'm got my security taken care of, I'd like to move into a lot more of this myself, and I've been having a great time with it this year. So it's just super valuable for me. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, your, I'm your, one of your key audience members here, I think, for a lot of these pieces of advice, so it's really great. Cool. Well, you know, it's not just me. It's all, it's all the team. Uh, there's Ben Williams here at the shop as well, and uh, Jimmy Strange. Um, Jimmy Strange has got a new trick, uh, Deceptus, which is just about to launch... Um, uh, on the 22nd, um, uh, and, uh, and we all sort of answer, answer questions, and we do, uh, uh, we do a, a blog, uh, a, what do we call it, a podcast, where we all sit down in the shop and we just talk about some of the questions that, that uh, magicians have asked us or we've received by email. So, again, if anyone has any questions like that, feel free to drop us, a, drop us an email or, uh, or leave a comment on the blog or something like that, and, and we'll do our best to help in any way we can. That's great. You know, we're going to put up a we're going to put up links again. We did it in an earlier announcement, but we're again going to when this is over, I'm going to put links up to the blog, to the podcasts, and to the list of articles that I'm looking at here, and uh, make sure that people uh, get in there and take advantage of them because uh, a lot of this is great material. And uh, I think I'll be downloading a couple of your eBooks as well, including that Magician's Guide to Wedding ex- Exhibitions. Uh, yeah, they're all free, so you can just download them. And again, if you, if you know someone who benefit from them, uh, even if you if you download it and the content that you already know, because it, it, most of it's common sense, um, pass it on to someone who doesn't. So just share it through because um, you know it all helps people. That's that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Dominic, I really appreciate it. It's been a great pleasure to meet you um i hope that uh, if, if you're ever in the states in the new york area you'll message me and we'll uh, have a chance maybe to meet in person if i get to the uk i'll maybe i'll try the same that's a deal andy definitely so i will be uh reading more of your material and taking advantage of it and i'm sure a lot of our uh, a lot of our members will as well so uh for those uh, you know for those listening if you didn't catch the whole thing it's going to be uh it's going to be available as a download later on uh, assuming that's okay with dominic yeah, and sure. People will be able to watch this later, and we will post a link to that. Um, and as I said before, uh, our next uh, next in our lineup is Chris Filpo on Wednesday evening. We'll be doing this again, and uh, I'm sure also having a great time then. So, again, from the uh, from the New York area to the UK, thanks very much to Dominic. And it's a pleasure. See you again one of these days soon. Yeah, take care. Take care, everyone. Bye bye. Thank you so much. Have a great evening. Take care. Good night.